Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I'm your host, Scott Mort. I hope you're having just a fantastic week. My week's been uh, just a little rough. I uh, Early on in the week, I ended up hurting my foot pretty bad. I uh, stepped on a branch, punched up through the bottom of my shoe, and uh, into my foot, just a little bit. Not a lot, but holy smokes did it hurt. The scary thing was, as I'm kind of like moving away, I look down, I see it punched up through my my shoe. I try to remove my shoe. Just the first instinct. And it was kind of scary because my shoe was pinned to my foot. So painful. So I had to remove this this little branch. Really, it wasn't, wasn't very big at all. We're talking like it was kind of a Y shape and it was like three inches and like the one little arm of the Y is what punched up. But, and of course it happens, it happens at the beginning of the day. So as I'm working, like it couldn't have happened at the end of the day. Not that I wanted it to happen at all, but man, painful. So I hope you're having a better week than I. That's, that's why the TikTok stuff, the, the Instagram stuff, Strange Pathways podcast, by the way. It was a little light this week. As I'm recovering, I'm hoping to put up more. Had an amazingly funny, my wife, Ariana, she's actually the one that found it, amazingly funny little blurb about firemen making a female sexy Loch Ness monster to try to lure the real one out. Go check that out. The pictures are just absolutely ridiculous. Our first tale takes us all the way back to April 30th, 1962. Albert Schweitzer Hospital, De Chapelle, Haiti. A a poor man named Clervius Narcisse. He's admitted. He's he's complaining of fever, body aches, just sort of a general malaise. But what really sends him to the hospital is he starts to spit up blood. He he gets sicker and sicker and sicker. And then, just a few days later, May 2nd, 1.15 p.m., the two attending physicians declare Clavius Narcisse dead. One of Clavius's sisters is there whenever he dies, Angelina. She tells the family, the older sister, Mary Claire, she comes, IDs the body, puts her thumbprint on the official death certificate. Now, they put Clarvius Narcisse, they put his body in cold storage uh, for a day, a full 24 hours. He's buried on May 3rd at 10 a.m. He's in a small cemetery just north of his home, in a little village called Leicester. Ten days after he's buried, they put a heavy concrete memorial slab over his grave. Flash forward 18 years, 1980. A gentleman approaches Angelina Narcisse. She's she's in the marketplace of Leicester. 
And he says, hey, do you remember me? I'm... And then it ends up that this man uses a nickname for Clairvius that, that only the most intimate of family members knew about. She's stunned. She's seeing a ghost. What happened? Well, then Clairvius begins to explain. 18 years ago, Right before he, and I'm using this in air quotes, died. He, he was refusing to sell his land to his brother. His own brother betrayed him and arranged for Clarivius to be made into a zombie to get his land. This feels very familiar. This happened. Uh, this happened to someone I know. I see him every day whenever I look in the mirror. I wasn't turned into a zombie, but siblings can be cruel. Clervius, he was poisoned. He was given a drug that was made to mimic death. He had been dug up before the slab was placed in the cemetery. Poor, poor Clairvius spent two years as a zombie. Now, we're not talking the actual you have been dead for a long time. George Romero walking dead zombie. We're talking about the actual thing. Someone who has been made to look dead, given a drug, usually a bufotoxin, and then used as slave labor. You've probably, you've probably used zombie-made products most of your life. You ever have sugar? Yeah, a lot of sugar farms used or maybe still do, use zombie labor. I mean, it's a big no-no, but it, it does happen. Clervius Narcisse, he was awake and aware during the whole event. Now, in the beginning, he's unable to move at all, but he hears God, how terrifying. He hears the doctor pronounce him dead. He hears his sister crying over him. He feels himself being put into the coffin. He feels it whenever a nail that was driven into the coffin kind of goes sideways and pierces his cheek. He hears the dirt tossed down, hitting the coffin. He said, I heard it all. I heard them call my name three times. He could hear everything that happened. Now, Clervius Narcisse, he, he feels like he was in the coffin for a couple of days whenever a Haitian magician called a Bokor digs him up, takes him out. 
the doctor who's examining him, he he goes, well, it's probably you're you can't trust your sense of time. You were on drugs. It probably probably wasn't longer than eight hours because of lack of oxygen. They dig him up. He sits up and they slap him three times. They make him smell something. And then they take him. They take him to the house of the Bokor. They patch up his cheek. And then they kind of interrogate him. Eight days they interrogate this guy. He, they ask him about like the people who wanted him dead. And then they tell him who arranged for this. They, Your brother did this. Your brother hates you so much, he turned you into a zombie. They end up walking Clervius Narcisse quite a distance. They, they take him to a northern plantation near the city of Ravine Trompette. And this place is owned by another Beaucourt named Joseph Jean. Narcisse worked with 151 other zombies nine of them were women and he worked there for two years sunrise to sunset working in the fields weeding planting and at night he would rest in a big hangar with with all the other zombies he was aware the entire time he knew he was a zombie He missed his friends. He wanted to go home. He missed his family. But he could not interact with the world normally. Everything feels distorted, slow, dreamlike. Simple obstacles that you or I would look at and go, okay. I can deal with this. Like, or like a rope, a rope across the door, just at waist level. Now, you or I, we're not going to have any trouble with a rope. You duck down, you climb over. Worse comes to worse, you take it down. Those simple obstacles become impossible to deal with. He's unable to make any decisions. He's, he's unable to take any action at all. Just, just an example, there's, on this property, there's, there's this stream that you have to cross if you want to get out. And it's a small stream. You know the type. It, it, it barely counts as a body of water. Your shoes are going to be a little uncomfortable, maybe, whenever you cross it, right? You're not going to get your knees wet, that's for certain. But in Clarivius Narcisse's mind, this is... A large, impossible-to-cross river. Another part of his story that kind of matches up with Haitian zombie beliefs, he was fed no salt whatsoever. All of the food he was fed was salt-free. And he's fed once a day. One time a day. Clarivius told this tale in 1964 one of the other zombies stopped eating and he was 
beaten repeatedly for this. One day, though, in the middle of a beating, this poor zombie is getting a beating because he's not eating, right? This zombie grabs a hoe and kills Joseph Jean, the Bocor. The Bocor's widow gives them salt, gives each of the zombies salt, and frees them. And then they're off. There go. They're sent to a they're sent to a home in in Capathian. And then they just walk away. After after Narcisse and the other zombies eat the salt, the world returns to normal. The stream appears in its correct appearance. So, Clervius Narcisse, he does not go home. He remains in the north of the country for years and years and years. He ends up moving to St. Michael de Atelier in the south for about eight years. And he sends letters to his family, but he never gets a response. But then, one day, news reaches Clervius. Your brother is dead. Clervius is elated. He can go home. He returns to Leicester. But, let's dig a little deeper. Was it really his brother? Was his brother the sole reason, the lone reason that Clarvius Narcisse was turned into a zombie? It really doesn't seem that way. It really, really does not seem that way. So the land... The land, the rules of of Haitian society, land passed from fathers to sons. It's divided equally. But here's the thing. That land had not passed to the Narcisse brothers. Their dad was still alive at this time. There... There was reason to believe that when their father would die, the land would not be divided equally. Let's talk about what kind of person Clervius Narcisse was. And I'm not going to throw judgment. I'm just laying down the facts, right? Clervius Narcisse fathered several children to several women, but he supported None of them. He wouldn't marry. And because of that, according to the social obligations in Leicester, he wasn't married. He doesn't have to support these children. He he refused to take care of his own kids. 
that allowed Clarivius to save up a pretty, pretty good sum of money. Anytime that a friend or a family member would ask for help, he refused to help them. He spent his money on only himself, only himself. Clarivius, Clarivius was not well liked in the town. Clarivius was not well liked by his family. So here's this thing. You have Clarivius, you have his younger brother. Clarivius is wifeless, childless, hoards money, is not willing to help. Then you have the brother who's supporting a large family. There was, there was an investigator who, who looked at Clarivius's story. The investigator's name was Wade Davis. Wade Davis, as he's listening to the story, as he's investigating, he doesn't find proof, but everything seems to line up that it wasn't Clarivius's brother. It was his uncle who who requested that Clarivius be zombified. But it seems like the entire family was in on it. The, the family refused to allow an autopsy. They never returned his letters whenever he was free again. Clarivius was legally dead. All of the father's land would pass to the younger son. Now, Clarivius, as we all know, this is how the story started. Clarivius returns to Leicester in 1980. And instead of like that quiet meeting that you were kind of like, you know, everybody going, oh, everybody like that. What you probably envisioned, what I envisioned whenever I read this story. No, no. People were so angry and shocked to see Clarivius that the government had to place him in jail to protect him from an attack. The family did not welcome him back home. He was taken under the care of, of Dr. Lemarque de Yon. Really the care and protection of Dr. Lemarque de Yon. And Dr. de Yon he allowed him to live at, at Dion's private clinic. Sometimes he would shove him off to the Baptist mission in the area. The only time that, that Clarvius Narcisse was allowed to visit Leicester was whenever Dr. Dion was with him. And it was always short, short amounts of time. I imagine more than a few of you listening to this going, this, this sounds really familiar. Wade Davis wrote a book. Wade Davis wrote a book called The Serpent in the Rainbow. 
loosely based on Clervius Narcisse. In 1988, Wes Craven made a horror film based on the serpent and the rainbow. The filming of Serpent and the Rainbow, the Wes Craven film, is just a mess in and of itself. Uh, Wes Craven sent uh, a producer, David Ladd, down in 1986, two years before the film was released, to kind of scout locations. David's standing at this ritualistic party. A woman runs up to him, takes his wine glass away, and proceeds to eat the wine glass in front of him. And then they sacrificed a live pig five feet away from him and began to drink the blood. Day one of filming. Screenwriter Richard Maxwell He's, he's meeting with a witch doctor for research purposes, a bocor. Maxwell returns to his hotel and he's disoriented. He's, he's, kind of, he's kind of polishing up the third act of the script. He's helping with the rewrites and he can't focus. A few minutes later, he cannot write at all. He's lost the ability. Wes Craven, one of the producers, uh, and Wes Craven, they storm the hotel room and they find, they find Maxwell half naked, disheveled, disoriented. They, they, they get, they get Maxwell on the first flight out. His wife and children meet Maxwell at the airport in Miami. He doesn't even recognize his own wife and children. Days later, days, Maxwell snaps out of it, has no memory. He just blips out of Haiti, blips back in in a mental hospital. Bill Pullman. I mean, we all know who Bill Pullman is, the actor from Independence Day. He had, he had the, la- the lead part. He played the Wade Davis character in Serpent and the Rainbow. He saw a green cow with television screens for eyes. Another crew member, uh, he, he interacted with a long dead general who arrived on horseback and asked him to hand over the color blue. This is obviously something you do not mess with. This, this is a belief system that attacks. Whatever happened to Clervius Narcisse? Well, he lived a fairly long life. Clervius Narcisse died for real this time, 1994, at the age of 72. Our next tale takes place 2008 Charlottesville Virginia. The the witness the witness at the time is actually living in Fry Springs in a townhouse. Now their roommate was using their vehicle, but the witness is at a friend's house in the country. 
The witness decides that they're going to walk to the corner store to get some cigarettes. It's it's a beautiful walk. They they follow the trail through the backyard. And it's actually it's one of those situations where to get to the store it's quicker to walk than to drive because you're out in the country, a lot of windy roads. And besides, it's a pretty walk. It wasn't dark yet. The sun was going down. It's cooling off. The witness asks their friend, Jay, do you want anything? And then they head off to the trail. And it, 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 this trail kind of brings you out behind the country store. I'm getting very big deja vu vibes from this. Uh, growing up, yeah, we had a little country store called Garlitz's Market. Same deal. Exact same deal. It would, it would be quicker to walk there than to drive. You walk through the woods. It was very beautiful. And it spit you out behind the store. So I am getting some strong deja vu vibes here. So the witness is walking. Birds are chirping. Few animal noises. I'm imagining like like you can hear like mice and chipmunks scurrying in the leaves and maybe the occasional bark of a of a squirrel up in the tree. But then they get to a split in the trail. And the witness starts to feel uneasy. Their hair standing on end. They they have a heavy feeling in their stomach. And they feel like they're being watched. But it's not that much further. It's not that much further. They've walked this trail many, many times. And then they hear the crunching of leaves. And we're not talking like little chipmunk crunching. There's a difference. Snapping twigs. Something big is coming. The witness looks around and they spot a large buck just off the trail, partly behind a sycamore tree. The antlers, though. The... The antlers on this this deer, they look more like moose antlers, but they're not quite moose antlers. They're, they're thick and burly. Something looked off. It looked like something trying to mimic a deer and almost, but not quite getting it. The witness decides to keep walking. And so does the deer. They walk a little faster. So does the deer. The witness stops and this deer takes off in a full-blown sprint. Now, something about the deer was unnatural, according to the witness. It moved like a rocking horse and its hind legs were backwards. They were reverse of how they were supposed to be. This freaks the witness out. They are now running as fast as they can to the country store. 
the witness themselves says they're, they're fueled by primal fear at this point. They come around a bend and there in the middle of the trail is this deer. The witness tries to, tries to stop, falls down. They're, they're looking at this deer and then, and then they realize something. A deer's eyes are on the side of its head, like a rabbit, a groundhog, a deer. A deer's eyes are on the side. This thing has front-facing eyes. Do you know what has front-facing eyes? Predators. Cats have front-facing eyes. Dogs have front-facing eyes. We, us, humans, have front-facing eyes. Because we kill. We are predators. But that's not all. The face isn't right. It's, it's too round. Its mouth is too rounded to be a deer. The snout is too short. There is so much wrong. The witness tries to get on their feet. And whatever this thing is, it stands up on its hind legs whenever the witness stands up. The witness kind of thinks, maybe it thinks that it's challenging me. But this thing towers. This thing is over eight feet tall. The witness begins to run. Running as fast as they can. And behind them, they hear that. It's running on two legs. He can hear that bipedal gait, that run. The witness is afraid to look behind. If they look behind and get just a little bit off, it's going to get them. They finally get back to the fork in the trail. They can't hear it behind them anymore, but that doesn't matter. The witness bolts out of the woods and starts screaming like a maniac. The friend, Jay, comes out the back door with a shotgun. When the witness finally calms down enough to explain what happened, Jay looks at him and goes, yeah, that wasn't a deer. Jay doesn't really know what it is, but the way the, way the witness thinks, the witness believes this was some sort of a manifestation of a forest spirit. It should be mentioned that the area around Charlottesville, Virginia is is known for a lot of cryptid sightings. A lot of strange things are seen there, especially Bigfoot. Especially Bigfoot. Now, if Bigfoot Bigfoot it it tends to it tends to be almost a manifestation in a, of itself. It it's often seen with UFOs. Its footprints will end in the middle of a field and there's nowhere for it to go. They disappear, reappear. What if what we're seeing is just the next evolution of Bigfoot? You had Bigfoot, which can appear and disappear. But these not deer, 
what if what if we're looking at the same thing but the next evolution of a better type of camouflage there's no need to to vanish and come back there's no need to blip out of existence and come back whenever you can just hunch down on all fours be a deer but whenever you need to be you can be that eight foot tall terrifying monster why blip out and blip in again whenever you can just stay our last tale i found this on the exports on 4chan uh really really fascinating story because as it goes it evolves so this one poster he said he was stationed in korea in a little no-name base really the only thing there is a few soldiers it's like aviation support and there's a seismology outpost, just measuring earth tremors and what have you. And there's, there's a small military police force, but honestly, it, it's just a formality. This place is the, the army equivalent of Mayberry. There aren't enough people to get into trouble. Now on these base, there are the, these little hills that dot the landscape here and there. If you want to see a pic of this, I'm going to have a pic up in the Strange Pathways Facebook page. Now, what these little hills are, they're the graves of soldiers that are killed in the Korean War. They were, they were buried where they fall. So, each night they have to do a walking patrol now the poster he said this was the highlight of his shift because being stuck in a car all day is not fun it's about 2 a.m it's it's a good time to go because it's curfew he said, sometimes people on the base start to do stupid stuff. And that's his problem to deal with. He ends up walking past this cluster of graves. And he sees someone. Now, this, this someone, this guy, he looks back at, at the poster, the soldier. And he ducks behind one of these mounds, these graves. The guy yells out, hey, military police, come out where I can see you. There's no answer. None. The guy just assumes it's somebody messing around. They're ignoring him. He goes around to the back of one of the mounds. And there's nothing there. there it's, it, it, it's, he said it's a shortcut parade field about the size of a soccer field with literally no place to hide. The poster, 
he gets he gets on his radio. He goes, Maine, this is B one one zero. I'm out in the grave sites with a subject who has fled on foot. We'll advise once I find him. The poster doesn't get an answer. But he thinks to himself, the radio guy is just lazy. You know, he, apparently this is somebody he's had trouble with before. But he keeps looking around. He's not sure at what. There's nothing to look at, just an empty field. And there it is again. That feeling of being watched. Now the radio comes on again. It says, all units, check radios, hot mic. Now he goes on to explain a hot mic is somebody's leaning on the button. Somebody put their their walkie-talkie away and it's squeezing the button. They're transmitting without realizing that they're transmitting. It's gotten colder. It's getting kind of kind of chilly in the area. His spidey senses are tingling. He does one more look around the area and he gets back to the station. Now his desk sergeant is angry because he thinks that the poster was the one hot miking. But all all the radio traffic is recorded on their computer. So they go and they play back the calls. It's mostly white noise. But then they hear it. At one point, you can hear them say that he's on the scene and then more white noise. But then they hear something. They hear something. It's barely, barely there. It's barely a blip, but it's, they can understand what it says. It's audible. They hear somebody go, Sergeant Long, more rounds, more water in the tree line. There, there, there. And it's clear as a bell. The next word wasn't supposed to be like this. They're just standing there. They're just standing there. The sergeant finally goes, don't, don't tell this to anyone. The next day, everyone's ordered, do not go near the burial mounds. What happens next is the reason I love going on to the exports at 4chan. They start questioning him. They get a little bit of information. He said, yeah, the voices never sound panicky. They sounded professional. He said the the line wasn't supposed to be this way. Didn't sound like he was dying. It sounded like it was conversational. He says it's like you talk about the weather. Wasn't supposed to be this way. That's when another poster on 4chan goes, Sergeant Long. Yang Xiong. That's, that's where this guy was, Yang Song. Right next to Wanju, where, where the original poster was based, there is a Charles R. Long. Remember, that voice said Sergeant Long. Charles 
are long. He was, during the Korean War, he was sergeant, forward observer of a mortar platoon. And he was killed at the Battle of Yongsong. He voluntarily remained at his forward post and continued to direct mortar fire until he was overrun and killed. They found the voice. They found the voice. Remember, his his last radio message stated that he was out of ammunition. What the original poster had heard was the last radio message called for a 40 round mortar strike more rounds more water remember it was hard for them to hear but it was clear but remember more water sounds an awful lot like the words more mortar more rounds more mortar Did the original poster, did the original poster of this story receive a radio message from more than 50 years in the past? Was he hearing, was he hearing something that was kind of recorded in the ground, a residual haunting? God, I hope so, because I don't want Sergeant Charles R. Long to have to relive the last terrifying moments of his life over and over and over and over. I don't want that for any of us. I think I know what happens to us after we die. I think we go on. But... If at the end of our lives, if we have to relive the last terrifying moments of our lives over and over, I think I'd rather just blip out of existence. Thank you for joining us once again on Strange Pathways. We are Strange Pathways Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. Over on Twitter, we are Pathways Strange. Facebook, we're real easy to find. Just type in Strange Pathways. You will find the page. You can follow the links over on YouTube. Come on over to YouTube. Like that video. Comment. Subscribe. Ring the little bell. Feel free. Go out there. Make reviews. Tell friends. Really get the word out there. That's how we're going to make this podcast grow. I think we got something beautiful. A lot of you think that too. And I thank you all so much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. (laughs) 